Welcome to Success Authority's Conversation Street with Leadership Authority, Peter Beaumont, and with Business Culture Authority, Ron Lehman, and me, Linda Ruland, Success Authority's founder. We have a lot of uh, manager training and manager to be training. We actually have people, we have a a monthly 60 minute kind of the progression of becoming a people manager curriculum that, and we, we invite people that aren't managers currently, but want to be to join, you know, that way maybe it's not such a, a big leap when they finally make that switch. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you know, it's all the way from approving time cards to discipline to, uh, you know, um, mental health, you know, um, you know, all kinds of things that you don't have to think about when you're not a people manager. Yeah. And I think that, well, that's great that you're preparing people for what the job's actually going to be, because that's always the biggest surprise, I think, when people move into leadership roles is how much of their time is spent with people and how those people, we humans don't like guitar strings. We don't stay in tune. Yeah. Um, so it's ongoing and it never quite stops. And, um, but it's, on the other hand, it can be more uh, more rewarding yeah, for some yeah. people that they see people that have developed and people that they can look at and say, I helped them and I've built this great team. Uh, but it's a different, as you say, it's a real different way of looking at it. And, right. and speaking of people, <laughs> here's Peter Beaumont. So let me tell you what we've already <laughs> talked about. It's probably, yes. We've talked about ESOPs. We've talked about um, people. We've touched on culture. We've talked about supply chain issues briefly. Very briefly, yeah. So that's where we are. Oh, well. Okay. It looks like you covered it. Well, thanks ever so much for all um, covering. I'll I'll see you in a (laughs) – my apologies to all of you, uh, um, especially Tony. I I was facilitating something, and it, it ran on far too long than it should have done and i couldn't just bail out so i'm no problem no yeah. problem good to see you though we hardly yeah. missed you yeah, peter likewise. by the way we've, we've solved world <laughs> peace while you were gone so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, get this, I get this at home too so i'm like everybody well oh are you coming home anyway <laughs> no you're early for the next one <laughs> exactly so <laughs> so uh tony are you in your office or at home i am or? okay yeah. yep yeah, I uh, yeah, I'm back about four plus days a week. So, okay. Yeah. So uh, that does you may have covered this already. Are you what are you bringing people back in or what's happening? So when all the restrictions were lifted, well, let's just say a year and a half ago, um, we for the most part everybody came back. Um, we gave we our, our big ironically. One of our challenges is, is we're running out of space. So we kind of were encouraging people that don't have to be in the office every day mm. to consider having a home office. So a lot of our salespeople that maybe had a, at least a desk that we'd see them once every two weeks now maybe don't have a desk, but we're pretty much tapped out where we're at. You know, we've gone, we probably added 30 or 40 people in the last two years and wow. not all of them are in the office, but so, um, we we give people an option to work virtually if it makes sense. You know, there are some positions that we just said it needs to be here and some teams that need to be here together. 
but you know, we'll have some customer service people that are all across the country, you know, of project managers that for the most part are here. Um, you know, but we also say, you know, if you want to work at home on Monday or Friday, that's fine too. Just make sure you're available. So, so we don't have any hard and fast rules. It, it kind of comes down to a space issue for us. So do you mandate people coming in? It sounds like you don't, but, but for certain days for meetings or not? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I mean, the kind of the, the uh, written or unwritten rule we have is that you can work from home, but if we need you to be in for oh, okay. a team meeting right. or whatever, but we're also, you know, one of the biggest things is, I mean, here we are talking on a video and it's like, we're sitting across the table from each other and we right. can do that now. Mm, and yeah. Yes. I mean, there are, ironically, there are times when we've had meetings on video that everybody's in the office or maybe one person isn't. And so we all just sit in our office. It's just as effective <laughs> typically, you know, you can share screens. So yeah. The, yeah. I, I remember when we first started, when everybody first went out in 2020 or whatever it was, and we did the first Teams meeting, if it was an hour meeting, we'd spend probably 20 minutes trying to get everything to work. Yes. <laughs> Yes. So, yeah. Ron, yeah. I can't hear you. You know, yeah. I, I can see you, but I can't hear you. You're on mute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're muted. Or or not muted. That was yeah. the other thing. You yeah. hear people yeah. you know, talking to their cat. Yeah, yeah. Your yeah kid we is all cute, had to get good at it. Yeah, your kid is cute, but send them away so we can get our business done here. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's. Do you, but I think people are more comfortable with it now. Yeah. Um, and yeah. in some cases, it's really convenient. Um, yeah especially for something, a short conversation right? Um, and, and the amount of, you know, just commute time and stuff like right. that, it, it's, yeah. it can be really effective, but there's nothing like being face to face either. Yeah. Well, in, in all seriousness, we do have handbook rules that, you know, if you're going to have a home office, it can't be sitting at your kitchen table with your, your one and three year old in the background. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's, it's great that you're able to stay home, but you're home working and not being, you know, the daycare. Yeah, that's so we, we, we literally require people to have, you know, a spare bedroom or an office or downstairs or someplace where, you know, that they can stay focused and granted, you know, we're, reasonable enough if you got to get up and do something that's fine you don't need to sit there for eight hours you wouldn't do that at work either so so do you, do you supply guidelines did you say tony yeah you know nothing strict it's just right. but kind of what i said it was literally it's just it needs to be a dedicated spot you know where you can shut the door and have privacy or you're you're set off you know in your house or whatever because sitting at the kitchen table when the kids are running around and you got the neighbors knocking on the door or whatever, it doesn't work, you know? Um, so, so we, we have just, I mean, it's probably a paragraph that just says okay. you have a dedicated spot. You know, we supply all the technology, you know, we'll, most people have two screens at least and a laptop and a docking station and, you know, printer, if they need one, you know, whatever we supply all that, you know, most people, if they have an office here have, two work stations, you know, one at home and one here. Right. You know, because yeah. it's not a eight to five job every day. So the magic question in that is uh, accountability. So many people worry that they're going to lose people's um, uh, 
hours to other things like parenting and or uh, who knows, maybe moonlighting. Um, mm-hmm. So how how do you manage that and keep everybody uh, at peace about the fact that everybody's working regardless of where they are? Right. Uh, it's. I think it just comes down to trust. I mean, it. We kind of have expectations of what people need to get done, and uh, they either get it done or they don't. I. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to be reasonably available for your colleagues and your customers and stuff. But on the other hand, if you don't necessarily deal with people a lot, and you've kind of got a uh, you know a individual contributor role, if you want to do it. You know, from nine to seven, I really don't care <laughs> as long as it doesn't negatively impact the other anybody else in the organization or our customers or our partners or whatever, which would obviously be a, a very much of an exception because everybody needs to deal with somebody at times and you need to be reasonably available. Exactly. So if, if you can figure out pretty quickly whether this person is online or, or not and whether they're getting their work done and that, they miss deliverables or making mistakes or whatever, then maybe we got to talk about you being in the office to, that we get it back on track. So, but we don't, we don't have monitoring software or anything like that, that we, that we do. So. No, thank goodness. <laughs> I think that's very big brotherish, and yeah, you know, always yeah. working out ways of getting around it anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And plus it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you put something in there that, makes people believe you don't trust them mm-hmm. then they won't return that trust and it kind yeah. of spirals and exactly exactly you know and you know it's it's most of the people that work virtual are people that aren't in the area you know we have some customer service people that live in rural wisconsin and, you know out in california or whatever and it, it's it's nice because you know, now our when we do recruiting for customer service, kind of the whole country's our oyster now. It's not they have they, not like they have to live near Edina. You know, they can be anywhere in the country in theory, as long as it's you know follows the sun. You know, we don't want somebody west coast that's covering the east coast or vice versa. But within reason, we can kind of go anywhere in the country. Yeah, yeah. it's widened out the scope for companies. It's done the same with the one I'm working at. I'm here now, the client, where we've got somebody in New York now uh, that we would never have hired before. Right. You know, never even thought about it. Yeah. So um, switching gears a bit, Tony, just uh, uh, there was a lot of talk about recession and, you know, impending. What's where's your head at in terms of that as CEO? Do you see a impending doom <laughs> is that reflected in your business what's your, what's your feeling about that you know um in the critical power world i wouldn't say it's completely recession proof but it's you know you got to keep the heat light and power on you got to do maintenance on all your backup power you know when a generator fails you got to buy a new one and when your batteries go out you got to replace them and you got to maintain them so but you know when when covid hit for us um our distribution business, which is the biggest part of our business, but it's all the small transactions. Those are the ones that for us um, could get delayed or deferred or even canceled. And, you know, it doesn't shut down an operation for somebody, but our service business for the most part kept very busy. You know, as long as they were able to still go out to a job site, 
you know, they have to do their quarterly maintenance on batteries or on a generator or something. So for our business personally, I, you know, and we've been hearing about a recession that's coming up next year. And we've heard that every year for how many (laughs) years now, even since COVID. Mm -hmm. And, you know, depends on what your definition is of a recession. It kind of hasn't happened as extreme as we thought. So, so we don't necessarily plan in our business for a recession. Okay. You know, I mean, in a lot of cases, you know, if there's a recession, we look at it as a hiring opportunity because if people are laying off good people, we'll take them. <laughs> you know, it's, you never, you never want to miss a good recession for hiring good people if they're getting laid off. And, you know, it's only just a matter, it's just a numbers game. So um, we haven't gotten to that point, you know, with a recession, you know, since I've been around here anyway, but, um, we, we don't, we're not in fear of it, you know, and, you know, some parts of it, like during COVID, our distribution with business was down pretty significantly, but everybody else was up or flat and that's all we could ask for. So we're pretty diverse, you know, in what we do. So um, if one business unit is down, you know, the rest may pick it up. So it's, you know, we don't, we don't live in fear of a recession, but we're always thinking ahead. You know, what happens if business contracts, you know, what are the three things we have to do? We do a lot of contingency plan. Uh, You you mentioned what I think is a really interesting mindset, Tony, that uh, looking at opportunity within recession, where uh, sort of the the other side of that is people, organizations that hunker down and, and do those. They stop growing or stop looking for opportunities and they just try and protect what they have. Um, and I, I think that's an interesting, you know, there's two ways to look at everything. And, um, I, I, you know, it sounds like what you guys do is you look for the opportunity within that. And contingency planning is really about that to a certain extent of not only protecting yourself, but saying, you know, what opportunities might arise mm-hmm. um, if everyone else is kind of hunkering down it's a great chance to um, go out there and possibly get some new business away from them, get people, whatever it is. Right. Yeah, it, it is. You know, and obviously you have to be smart about it. You can't just go out and, you know, when your sales are contracting, you go out and hire 25 people. But, you know, we're always looking for technicians. I mean, even if we don't say we need one here or here, when, when a good one shows up, we will work pretty hard to hire them. Or, you know, if we're, you know, we when, when COVID, when we're in the midst of COVID, um, we've got a really large uh, contract in one of our divisions. And we hired, gosh, probably six or eight technicians, some people in the, you know, in the support staff or whatever. And some of them, most people never met for about a year. <laughs> so, you know, because we weren't in the office, never met them in person. So, you know, we... You know, and obviously we got a big contract, but we took the out. We probably hired as many people in the midst of COVID as we did, you know, this year or last year, you know, for, for different reasons. But, you know, you have to be smart about it. But, you know, it's uh, we're always looking for good people. And when we talked about earlier about internal career opportunities, you know, maybe you can hire somebody to backfill that technician that wants to move into get out of the field and work into a project manager. So we hire a good level four technician to take their spot and everybody moves up. Yeah. 
where do those folks come from? Where do those uh, technician technicians come from? Well, we use, as I said, we use core talent for all 100% of our recruiting, and they do a great job. So they've kind of got a, a pretty good network. Um, we're starting, you know, now that we have 150 people, we have a really good re referral program, and we actually pay $2,000 for every referral that somebody brings in. We, you know, if Joe says his neighbor wants to be a technician or a sales manager, and we hire that person, Joe gets a $2,000 bonus after 90 days. And in some cases, if it's a hard to fill job, we paid up to $4,000 for a referral. Um, so there's, there's getting to be more of those. And I think it's kind of a function of just when the, now we got 150 people that are recruiters for us, but core talent does a really nice job. Um, but, you know, we also were starting to focus some efforts on military recruiting. We have a lot of military in our, in our company. Um, I think at one point we, it might even be more now, but a year ago, we had about 25% of our workforce, our military veterans. So uh, myself and our HR manager and a couple other people have attended military career fairs. We post on all the military job boards. Um, we have collateral material that is focused just on, you know, military, you know, veteran recruiting. And, you know, we celebrate, you know, the, the veterans that we have in our organization. We have a lot of them. They're yeah. great workers. So, so there's a number of places it comes from, you know, like yeah. that. And and you kind of answered another question I had was where where does a potential technician get those initial job skills before they come to the company? And obviously the military, they may be right. trained in some of the things. Are there trade schools, um, community colleges? Is there a place that almost the old apprentice program for many yeah. trades? Is there anything like that? Um, or do you bring them in and train them up? Um more of the latter there, you know, we do DC power work and we do generator work and we've actually talked a lot about generator trade schools and there just aren't a lot of them. There's, there's two of them that we know of for sure that are kind of in the, the upper Midwest where we are, but they're actually affiliated with um, particular companies. So it'd be tough for us to go in there and say, Hey, you know, come work for us when, somebody's probably paying their tuition from another company or a competitor or whatever. So, uh, but yeah. what, what we look for in a lot of cases, like the generator group, we look for diesel mechanics or auto mechanics or something like just anybody that's mechanically inclined over time, we can teach them and train them, you know, on safe ways to, to work on generators and our DC power group, if they have any kind of electrical aptitude, you know, whether they're an apprentice or not, um, you know, they're, they're fair game for what we do. And, and like I say, we, one of the things that we've talked about forever, but, you know, when the labor pool is so small, we've always talked about, you know, hiring all these entry level technicians, and then you coach them up, you know, and hope they stay with you for five, 10, 15, 20 years or whatever. But it's just, there's just not as many young adults, male or female that are going into the trades anymore. It, they're yeah. just, they're just yeah. art. And yeah. I really don't know why. I mean, you you could read 10 articles and you'll get 11 different opinions as to, you know, why the trades are are diminishing like they are. But it is. I mean, we live it every day. That's yeah. why referrals are so great for us. And we don't have a problem coaching up people 
you know, when uh, they may not have a lot of experience. Yeah. I know in the construction and mining industries, the two jobs that you can basically write your own ticket are mechanic and welder. Yeah. If you can do those two things, they'll just throw money at you because they just can't find them. And their kind of take on it, to add a 12th opinion, um, is that um, they're not getting those young people who grew up either working when it's in a family business where they learned it or from a farm. Mm-hmm. There, in one supervisor said, "We're getting kids who worked at Red Lobster last week, and they're coming in, and you know, we have to train them on working outdoors and safety, and and then yeah. and then the job." And he said, "It's and we do it because we can't find people, so we're trying to get that going, but it's it's very difficult." Well, one of one of my colleagues, um, Dan, who leads our DC Power, he's our COO. One of the questions he always asks in an interview with a with a trades position is, "What do you like to do for fun?" And most of them say, "I build cars, I remodel cars, I build engines, I build computers, or whatever it might be." And that's that's the kind of aptitude that we want. You know, they're just not afraid of it, and they want to learn. And you know, they have that that mechanical aptitude to work with their hands and and problem solve. So. I always thought that was interesting that that's what he, that's one of the first questions he asked what do you like to do for fun? He doesn't yeah. lead them anywhere. <laughs> that's a great question. Yeah. yeah, it is good. Yeah, I like that. So, yeah. um, uh, Tony, a thing that intrigues me is you, you, you mentioned contingency plans, and that's something I've actually built into uh, what I work with clients on EOS. It came out of COVID, really, to be honest, which was, you know, we didn't have a, we have a plan for something like this to happen. So what is the worst scenario that can happen to our business now, now we're coming out of this and what do we do about it? So that's, and then probably a plan C, which sounds like you do the same thing. What's on your mind as to the biggest short-term issues that face you and what are the longer term issues that you, you, you're addressing? Sure. Uh, well, we've talked about a lot of them. We're still working on labor, uh, supply right. chain, you know, in critical power, obviously, there's a lot of technology changes, you know, battery technology changes. So one of the things, so about two years ago, um, our board and our leadership team and our ESOP partners, um, you know, our valuation and et cetera, got together and had an off-site strategic planning session. And we came up with what we call the big six initiatives. And, and two of them were kind of related. One was growth and the other one was called, we call think tank. And so we have a, we have a group um, of our most forward-looking, creative, out-of-the-box thinkers that they get to, they've done a whole bunch of good things in the two years, but they get together and they talk about the changing technology and what are things that we're not doing today that we want to do tomorrow or may need to do tomorrow. And, you know, so they've talked about things like hydrogen and lithium ion and, you know, energy storage and solar and all kinds of stuff. And they usually come up with two or three per year and then they'll kind of whittle it down to one and, mm. and then they focus their energies and then they divide and conquer. They go out and do research on whatever the topic is. And, They've come up with some really interesting ideas and, you know, some businesses that we think may be evolving or we want to get into, you know, for example. And so that group, it's, it's a very formalized group to talk about what what's coming. Uh, we also have a recruiting and retention 
uh, is one of the big six initiatives. And we have a committee that gets together every every 60 days for an hour or two. And it's a cross section of um, younger people, people that have been in the workforce for a lot longer, field people, sales, you know, admin, whatever. And we just talk about, you know, what are you guys seeing out there for recruiting and why why do people want to stay at, at a company like ours? What what do we need to do differently? And I facilitate it and I just take notes and listen, you know, and they come up with some really great ideas, you know, about, you know, it's more than just paying more money to keep people. Yeah. You know, people yeah. are looking for work-life balance. And so what can we do rather than just give them a raise? Because the competition down the street's just going to beat that by a dollar. And then we beat it by a dollar and it's just an arms race. So what can we do to, to make people want to come to work here every day other than just a bigger paycheck, which obviously helps, but you can only do that so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversation Street. For more information or to schedule a private conversation with success authorities, email us at inquire at successauthorities.com.